0: go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show.
1: Good evening, everybody. This is Virginia Escruneer here on the World of Ink Network. Um, Hopefully you guys can hear me okay because I am fighting a cold. Um, so if I'm a little hard to hear, I'm sorry tonight <clears throat> Before I jump into tonight's show I just want to cover some of the upcoming shows we have here At the World of Ink Network Tomorrow, Marcia Casper-Cook will be on Doing um, Her "A Good Story is a Good Story show Where it will be all about writing with Leah Michaels That's a really good show Especially if you're into romance writing uh, Leah Michaels is a best-selling author And an award-winning author And has more than 100 books from romance to nonfiction to even local history, so tune into that show. There's going to be lots of tips in there for you, and of course, you know, hopefully you'll come across some good reads if you are someone who loves to read um, in that genre. And then we also have this week on Thursday, Marcia Casper Cook doing a special show. She is actually going to be talking about politics. I know we always talk about here on the world of ink we don't get political, but we will be um, on this show. So. Uh, Marshall will be talking about what's new in politics for the 2016 election, so that will be an interesting show. She will have Jack Rimick on and Carol um, Solomon on the show. You can also call in live to that show, and that will be Thursday night here on the World of Ink Network. And then um, that is all we have lined up for this week. I am sorry about the show yesterday being canceled. There was no way for me to do the Sunday Read show. As you can tell, I barely have my voice. Um, Yesterday it was non-existent. So I will be doing um, this coming Sunday, the Sunday Reads Show, and we will still be doing the remembering author Rick Walton on that show. So anybody who is a fan of Rick Walton or is an author or has had him as a mentor in their writing career, you're welcome to call in on Sunday and to talk. We'll be spending some time talking about that, and then, of course, we'll get on to literacy and some book reviews. So that's what we have lined up here for the next few days on the World of Ink Network. So tonight is our author spotlight show that I do, and I'm happy to have one of my friends back on the show to talk about what he has going on, which is author Johnny Warden. Welcome to the show. Oh. Hi.
2: <laughs> How y'all doing out there in podcasting?
1: <laughs> exactly. And Johnny's going to be doing more talking than me because my voice after I talk for a while starts to go away. But that's good because Johnny's a talker, so we're good tonight.
2: <laughs> I don't know. What I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is totally un, unusual. I, I, I cannot be um, made to talk. But if, now that you ask, okay, I will. How are you all doing? I'm having a stellar year so far. with A couple setbacks. It's the usual life of a writer. Um. But I appreciate you having me on again. We can talk about books, talk about awards, talk about writing organizations. All these things are on my agenda.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm excited. So I would love for you, during to kind of share about what happened recently because um, I didn't get to go. I mean, and obviously, about, about the end of August, those who are in the writing world, as authors and publishers, <laughs> and even book reviewers know that that's when all the conferences start up, that's when all the awards start up. So you... You've had a, an amazing start into basically what starts to kick off the publishing industry and, and everything kind of coming out like all the new book releases and stuff that kind of start happening when when fall comes into play. So I'd love for you to share about some of the highlights of what has happened over the
2: last few weeks for you. Well, for me, yeah, it was outstanding. I was um, I, I was I was tasked last year to uh, help in chair to uh, help the League of Utah Writers, which is a uh, an 81-year-old Utah writing organization. It's been around since 1935, and uh, with Utah's largest and most active writing community, with chapters all over the state and planning events. uh, It's in a revival right now where our membership is is skyrocketing. Uh, But anyway, last year I was asked to help plan some of the committees. Uh, uh, Not plan the committees. I was asked to be on a committee to help plan conventions and events. And so... I put my efforts in. We had uh, a really excellent spring conference last year at Salt Lake Community College, and we had two summer workshops in Salt Lake City, one on editing, another on querying. that were very well done. And then the piece of his assaults, that's the phrasing, was uh, the mm-hmm. fall conference, which is the annual League of Utah Writers Spectacular. And this year it was held down in Provo at the Marriott when... Uh, Comic Con decided to take our weekend. We shuffled it back a little bit, but it was fantastic. It was uh, two days of, of excellent classwork and uh, camaraderie, and it always ends with a banquet and awards. And at the banquet, um, and I got some awards, and it blew my mind because I didn't think I was going to win. I'd, I'd entered about every every everything I could. Right, all the short fiction, mm. all the. Flash fiction, I, you, know, I, 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 you know, my, my, my new lead guitar writer's chapter is called The Infinite Monkeys. We meet then uh, Sandy. It's just a fun group. We, I try to keep it fun because, uh, you know, if you come from a group called The Infinite Monkeys, you can't take yourself too seriously. So anyway, we had uh, all of us have really tried to get some stuff into the contest. And anyway, I got nothing. You know, all my short fiction, I, I just got nothing. But then it came around to the novels category, and to my surprise, um, Celeste, which is the second book in the Unseen series, won a recommended read, which is kind of like a bronze. So I was pleased for the second book of a series that I just um, submitted as a lark. I was very pleased that it, was, it received an award, and I, was, and I turned in another one of my books. So I'm very, very fond of this one called The Finger Trap, which is a um, – Oh, it's a difficult one to explain. It is a comic noir mystery, coming-of-age, midlife crisis, social satire with quiche. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. And it's not for everyone. It's, 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 or it is for everyone. It's a very funny, very adult, very sarcastic, voice-driven narrative. Anyway, I submitted that. And the story of getting it published, I'll get into it later. That, that blew my mind as well. But I submitted this to the adult fiction category. And they came around to naming the adult fiction, right? At first it was recommended read, and I wasn't there. Okay, okay, not there. Right. Now it comes for the silver award, all right? It wasn't me. So I said, like, oh, I got a gold, I got a gold. And then it got to gold, and it wasn't me. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I, I quickly kind of shriveled up a little ball, and I, was a, I realized that, um, well, this fiction isn't for everyone. You know, if the reader didn't have a sense of humor, I, I step on a lot of toes. It was, uh, mm. it was uh, beyond sarcastic. So I figured, okay, you know, I won't take this personally. I just won't tell anyone ever. That I actually had applied to the contest that actually submitted something. you know, Denial goes a long way. So anyway, I put this out of my mind, put it on a happy face, and went on with it. And then they announced the Diamond Quill, which is the most outstanding book of the year, and it was mine. And I melted. I didn't even know it was an award. I, I totally even forgot it existed. And then they named <laughs> the Diamond Quill for the most outstanding published book in Utah of the year, and it was my finger trap. And I tell you, It was one of those moments of complete validation and excitement and surprise, because I honestly thought I was out of the running. I figured I'd offended somebody, because the book does. There's something to offend everybody in this book. Everybody gets offended by something in this book. Uh, And it was just total vindication, which is, as a writer, these, these brief moments, and I don't know how brief they are, I mean, Everything in the world, is, everything in our lives is transient. And to me you realize that, the happier you'll be. But for one glistening mm-hmm. moment, my peers recognized me. And this book, which is so personal to me, of all my books, this is my favorite. And it's not necessarily because it's my best. It's my funniest, though, it could be said. It is still the most personal. And mm-hmm. I'll keep talking because I know your voice is hurt. so I'll just keep rambling.
0: And the story <laughs> of The Finger
2: Trap is very much the finger-trap. I mean, the, the story of my life as a writer. I wrote this book, and it flowed out of me. I, I wasn't necessarily plotting. I had, a, I had a mystery, but I really wanted to explore life and a midlife crisis and these different things. And so I very much inhabited this character. His name is Tony Flanner. Tony Flanner is an everyman slacker, very much like me. He's had a 1,000 jobs. He can't seem to keep a job. He's got a lot of different careers. His wife categorizes that, and he keeps the job about, every, about seven months he has to change. It's just because he gets bored with it, see? Nothing's ever, you know, as soon as it, and then he realizes that it's because as soon as it gets hard, he quits. He's unwilling to put the little effort that, that, that is required to actually become super good at something, you know? It's that 90% thing where it takes you, mm-hmm. the effort it takes to get 90% of the way is X and in order to get that last ten percent it's that X again, it's another ninety percent effort anyway. So that was him. He's he's a slacker, he's um an every man he's sarcastic and he's very much like me. And so as my character Tony Flanner, which is based on uh, I'll get to that in there. But anyway, as Tony gets has to solve this mystery, he faces these problems in himself and ultimately finishes something, pushes it through all the way into completion. And to speak meta of how it affects, of how I'm involved in this. This is very much what I was going through when I, when I was creating this book. I, this is the book that I realized I wanted to be a writer. I wrote wow. this book and I was so fond of it. I was so proud of it. I was so confident of it, even though I knew it would not appeal to everyone. I knew there was an audience there. I knew it, I can read it to this day and it still makes me laugh. And this was the book. And so... For me, I had to get this book published. And this is a true story. I wrote this book, and I started querying the hell out of it. I doubt there is an agent on the East Coast that hasn't heard of this book. And I queried and queried and queried and queried. And I got a back, got some nibbles. I got some edits. I got some everything. But it never actually panned out. So being a writer and knowing going in that the only true power a writer has is in his writing. I did not stop writing. I wrote I continued writing books. I wrote another mm. Tony Flanner book. Oh, Tony, I'll get back to Tony. Uh, Tony Flanner's The Mystery, The Detective, The Finger Trap. Right. But I actually wrote it, I actually wrote a trilogy called The Unseen Trilogy, which is the award-winning Eleanor books. And I wrote those specifically in order to get Tony Flanner published, The Finger Trap published. And when I got, and, and Jolly Fish pressed to their uh, questionable future, um, first saw these books years ago and said, we like them both, which one do you want to sell? Uh, which one do you want to give us? I said, take them both or neither. I blackmailed them. If they <laughs> wanted Eleanor, they had to take the finger trap. And they did. And so anyway, so the Eleanor came out, the whole series is out, and they let the finger trap come out, not really sure what to do with it, knowing it's the first of a series and three of them have been written. Right. So they're not sure what to do with it because it's so different from the uh, from everything they have. And yet, It comes out, and then in order to truly understand the theme of the book, this cannot be truly realized unless you realize the author managed to get the book out. Against (laughs) all odds, against everything else, the book exists. So with me so personally invested in this book, to have it not only be published, but then awarded a Diamond Quill has just been cloud nine for me.
0: I, mean, I it, bet. It's,
2: it's just been amazing because it's like, it's not for everyone. It's, you know, it's, 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 it is for everyone. I have nobody come back to me and say it was bad. You know, of course I <laughs> warned everybody it's, it's adults. You know, if you're used to Ellen or you're used to these young adults, this one with the sex, drugs and rock and roll might not be it. But then again, I still, are getting the most outrageous fan mail about it. So it's very, very redeeming to me. The, the main character is Tony Flanner. I might've mentioned this before. It's based on the idea of Charles Baudelaire's theory of the flaneur, which is French, meaning lounger or stroller. It is someone who enjoys, enjoys the journey. If you ever go to a park and you want to walk across the park, you get go to the other end, but the path you're on does not go straight. It travels in a circuitous manner. It travels to this pond and that statue, a gazebo of a grove of trees, this flower bed. It passes all these things. Eventually you'll get there, but you'll enjoy the walk. That is a flaneur path. And it actually, the idea of the flaneur, the lounger, the stroller, actually became an architectural meme during the 19th century. So that's the idea. Again, it's me trying to project who I want to be in the form of this character. Not only does this character fulfill his very difficult mission, but he does it while enjoying the ride. So this very much becomes my icon, my my um, my my idea of who I want to be is to enjoy the to enjoy the moments that they come, which also very fits to the idea to the moment when I received the diamond Crow. It was just <clears throat> blew my mind. Just, so I, <laughs> you know, I just
1: well, And I want to say too. I mean, knowing you personally, you know, I mean, we've we've gone to dinner, we've we've been at you know the festival book festivals together and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, to me, I mean honestly, all your fans should read The Finger Trap, even if they don't think it's a book for them, because you are such a free spirit as an author. I mean, you really live in the moment. You really, really do. And, and i do always loved that about
2: you. <laughs> I do try. All these lessons, it's, it's weird because the writing path, and all writers need to know this, is it's ultimately a personal journey, no matter how big you are. It's transient. It's transient. It's, unless you're, you're your, um, um, I don't know, Shakespeare or Sophocles or something, chances are your work's not going to last that much not that much longer past your lifetime, and that's okay. It's the influence mm-hmm. we have, all we have, so it's our personal journey. I mean, our, that's my story of Michener. When I was growing up, Michener, 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 you've got to read this. It's the source. It's Hawaii. It's, it's, it's Centennial. You've got to read these. It's 6,000 pages long. You'll love it. He was the bomb. I don't know. I might be dating myself, but back in the 70s, 80s, <laughs> everyone who read read Michener and Clavel, right? Shogun, mm, yeah. I think this is media, But I mention these names in my writing classes today, and they're blank stares. Blank stares. Wow. Today we all know who J.K. Rowling is, but in 20 years, let's see. I, I, do, I go to classes. I, I teach in. Um, I go to science fiction conventions, and mm. people know the name Clark and Asimov. <laughs> You know, but it's not the same that it was when I was growing up. I mean, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a footnote. It's not the primary driving force as it was when I was a child. So, knowing this is all transient, we have to go into writing knowing that it is a it, it is a means of prayer. It is a means of meditation, of self exploration and universal exploration. So, the lessons I learned through my characters, I learn. Th- 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 if that makes sense, that's probably yeah, not
1: no, that one totally specific, makes sense. I know, and I, I'm totally with you on that. And it's so true because, um, gosh, I was quoting the Raven the other day because I'm a huge yeah. Poe fan, and I love Halloween. So hello, and my daughters were looking at me like, "What, mom? <laughs> like, what are you talking about?" I'm like, "You guys don't study the Raven?" I'm like, "I remember, I remember having to read the Raven this time of year in high school, you know." Oh yeah. And like, and they're like, "No," <laughs> I'm like, "Wow," you know. It's it's that I I've used Charles Dickens as um. As examples, when I've taught you know it, writing courses, and a lot of the students, unless they're like forty or older, most of the younger ones are just looking at me like, really, I, I don't get how this applies to what you're trying to teach me because I can't understand what the heck they're saying. It's exactly it's, you're right. It it is a journey, and it, and I and I and I think that's what's so important, and what I love about your writing because I do when I read your books, like you put yourself into, or or you learn from, um, that that blending ends up happening (laughs) or something, because, I mean, when I read the whole end scene, I mean, a lot of it, I remember asking, have you been there, you know, did you grow up there?
2: Because it just, I can tell your heart and soul goes into all your words of of your book. It it (laughs) has to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. um, one day I'd like to be so pimped out that I just have to, people, I mean, I hear great authors who get letters from their publishers saying, we need a new dystopia, can you have it to us by March? And they go to work on that. I I can't imagine that dream. So I'm still exploring all my works. It's why, you know, I'm taking advantage of the fact that no one has paid me to write one thing that allows me to explore these different things. I have, for example, um, a follow-up to The Finger Trap coming up very soon. Um, is a book called A Blind Squirrel. My agent is pitching it. It's a great book. It's it's a love letter to Elmore Leonard, who nobody knows who he is. So it's going to be (laughs) new and unique to anyone who reads it, right? I've never seen anything like it. Well, he was very big 10 years ago. You won't know who he is now. But it's a very flashy crime story, and I explore the idea of of promises broken and kept. And it was just an exploration of that, you know, of, of, of... looking at that idea through these, through these ideas of, or through these characters who are trying to deal with their own personal promises. For example, there's one of the characters that he's one of the villains. It's, a, it's an ensemble piece, so it's kind of complicated, but one of the characters in the, Anna a blind squirrel is a, um, is a Ponzi criminal. He's a white collar criminal. He's a, he's a, I mean, I don't want to get into politics here, but he is a, um, Upper middle class white guy with a great education who's pissed off that he's not rich. He believes he deserves to be rich because <laughs> he was entitled to be rich. So his motivation is that promise that society made him because he thought because just because he was white, well educated, and a male that everything would happen easy, and when it didn't, he resorts to of course crime, which is you know the Bernie Madoff theme. Well, I, but that's where I'm on with that. So by exploring his concept of that, I kind of explored how we can. Fall into these false senses of entitlement, but also how we, we make promises to ourselves that aren't necessarily worth keeping us either. Anyway, long story. I guess what I'm saying is I'm still exploring the nature of who I am. It's great because after I write something like that, or the finger trap, or I get, or the love letter to my mom, which is the unseen series, um, mm-hmm. it's there's just a catharsis there, and then I can kind of move on. Which is why none of my books have been necessarily a lot of been alike yet. <laughs> Do you feel like
1: writing is? Have you feel like all the writing you've done and and watching your books get published and win awards that a lot of it's been therapeutic too? Because I mean, as as an author, you know, obviously, and you've mentioned that many times, you get to explore these different topics and and delve deeper into into things that most of time people don't take the time to meditate and really think about because we just get too caught up in our lives. I mean, do you, do you feel like as as each time you you get over that hurdle? That you find more well, I, of a
2: balance in your life. I try to. It's it's difficult because of, um, I mean, writers, the good writers, do should spend the time in meditation, right? Because most of us are distracted. We have, you know, when we get home, we, we don't want to face these issues of, will I be remembered after my death, or whatever, or, or whatever existentialist angst is now twisting us in, in our, into knots. It's it's, it's easy to um, distract ourselves away from that. With, with television, video games, music, drugs, alcohol, food, I got a kitten that takes a lot of my time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, so writers set themselves up for that; they set themselves up to face these major, these major issues, you know. And maybe they're just trying to write some flimsy or some some pulpy uh, fantasy where they just uh, they they wanted to explore the idea of what would it be if somebody had the power of creating leaves on anything i don't know so just basically some idea but eventually you'll get into some character motivation some ideas and it pushes your borders it pushes it pushes your idea of what life is just just inhabiting another character and it's not just for and and writers have the the power of following that and creating it but readers inhabit those characters as well so that's why your readers for example are so much more interesting the non-readers, is because they have inhabited that. It's one thing to watch a movie. You can inhabit a character a little bit in a movie. But in a book, you are privy to their thoughts and their feelings. It is hallucination. It is it is you creating the scene. So I, I think there have done tests on readers about that as far as um, their their brain waves and, and their synapse connections is that the fact that, that it looks as if their memories have increased, so basically each time you read a book, you have another lifetime to draw from. But that's how they, you know, as far as a writer goes, that's, actually that is very much here. Oh stop <laughs> me if I'm going too much. You got me excited?
1: No, so, no I love when you, I love being around you because you're just you're so fun and, and you look at everything at so many <laughs> different angles, and I love that because you know I, to me, I think that's what separates and I'm not knocking you know, a lot of the indie authors out there and people who are trying to get out writing, but you know, it, it, listening to you, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are listening can definitely say, well, of course this is why this guy is winning awards and is one of the top, you know, best-selling authors in Utah. And Because you do, you look at all angles and, and you absorb and you, and you look at like, okay, it works from this way, but it doesn't work from this way. And what am I learning from this? What will my reader take away from this? <clears throat> and I think that's so important. I mean, it's it's such a complex process, I, you know. I think a lot. I always I was just watching because I love. I'm a Stephen King fan. I was just watching the movie Misery yesterday. Um, when lovely I was,
2: movie. Lovely. Yeah, lovely.
1: <laughs> well, and I love the book. I love the book over the movie, but I was watching the movie because I was in a brain fog, so you know, crashed out, medicated, watching TV because that's what you do when you're sick. And yep. all I kept thinking is, is they're showing you know the main character sitting there, you know, who's the author, typing away. And he's on the typewriter. And, I mean, it's, you know, after he types the page, he pulls it out of the typewriter and sticks it down in the stack of pile. Like, you know, no corrections, no nothing. (laughs) And I'm going, you know, they do this in every movie. They never show authors, like, beating their heads against the wall or, you know, rewriting (laughs) stuff. It's never that smooth. But I think most people watch these movies and they show, you know, the actor being the writer doing that and mm-hmm. it's like it, it seems like romancing the stone same thing she does the same thing Yeah, you know, she's crying oh, right. mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah she's not submitting the first draft <laughs> oh
2: no 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 it's hard <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's a large dilemma it's unless you are catch lightning in a bottle or you're the uh, first born the only child of a big five editor chances are you're going to have you're going to face a lot of rejection before you get anything published and that's just the nature of the beast there's so much rejection at every level there's going to be rejection i mean it's 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 and it's it's hard that's why when you have these moments of the book finally being picked up an agent being interested a uh an award or just a piece of fan mail or or a positive response. I mean, I try not to read too many reviews because I'm I'm afraid of them. <laughs> but when I do read one and and I get some very positive feedback, it is in itself the reward. I mean, it's, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it'd be nice if I were, you know, making all the money that Stephen King and JK Rowling was, and I could buy a small continent and start a war with North Korea. That would be awesome. But on the <laughs> other hand, you know, you, you, you take it where you can. Cause it's all transient. So, yeah. You know, I say that writers bleed on paper and then try to sell the bandages. I mean, we're, we're setting ourselves up. We're in a world where, very, where sometimes it's, I feel like there's more writers than leaders. It's a, it's a difficult world. So you take, you take your advantages where you can. And, and the other thing about writing is that there's a community. So if, I could, if I could segue here. There's a community of writers that, um, in Utah or all over the world that I've found, which is just really giving people, maybe it's because they're sensitive and they're beaten up so much with rejection that they're open to the community I see writers spend a lot of time in dark rooms talking to imaginary friends so when they get out in public it's a difficult situation (laughs) Um, and yet there is a real, solid, beautiful loving, caring community out there and it's not a zero-sum game, it really isn't because you have um, my, uh, my readers can be your readers and they should be, you see and we could all mm-hmm. help each other, and that's why I got involved with the League of Utah Writers. I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association, a chartered member of the Utah branch. I am get, I'm get to teach at uh, StokerCon. At the, I'm at Queen Mary in April, to be kind of a nice experience. And uh, this year, the, the Fools have elected me president-elect of the League of Utah Writers, which means I have a three-year stint trying to steer this organization. I'm actually not president yet. Basically, it's a three-year thing where there's president-elect where it's like apprenticeship, and there's President, which is the the dude, and then there's past president, which is senior advisor. So it's a three year gig. I'm following up uh, Jared Kwan, who's following up Chris Todd Miller, great guys who've done a lot to expand the league. And if uh, any listeners are out there in Utah and haven't looked into the league of Utah writers, do so. It's a cheap date. We are moving and shaking. We're already planning um, our conventions this year. Uh, The fall one, for example, we're giving away uh, the it's usually Friday and Saturday, and this this year, the Friday session is free.
1: Wow. We're opening it
2: up to everyone. No reason not to. And then um, Saturday is we're going to charge for, but it comes with a banquet and awards and I don't know, probably yeah. some, some some puppies. I'm, I'm not sure. We haven't quite decided on the live <laughs> yet. it Could be chickens. You it, cheaper, right? We can, buy, we can buy two now and have enough for everybody by comes September <laughs> October.
1: So anyway, That's cool that you guys are thinking about doing the Fri the because fr- I know Friday is only like about a half day because you know they no,
0: focus on the fact expanded. that a we've... lot
1: of people are working another job to support the writing
2: habit. Oh God, right? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a drinker with a writing problem. Um, no, it's uh, no, <laughs> it, it's um, yeah. Actually, this year we had full slates both Friday and Saturday, and wow, uh, it was well, it was the big, most well-attended uh, fall conference we ever had, followed by and the uh, one we had in spring was the most well attended. We're doing one in Logan in the summer, and we're going to do a special um, event in St. George in the winter. Probably not this winter, but the next one. And um, All you southern people down there, come out and visit us. You don't have to be a league member to come to these things, but it's great to network with these people because they're really, I mean, it's you know, whether you get reject- whether you re- get your rejection or your acceptance, we're all there for Granted, we're all full of envy and hate, and, you know, we hide it really well. So you know, yeah, And
1: I do have good, to say I was envious that you got the diamond quill because I only got the silver for my picture book.
2: <laughs> oh, you did? Well, silver silver's awesome, too. There's nothing so, wrong so, with silver. You you
1: know, and, 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 and just going back to the whole words, how you are talking about how you, you know you spent, you're like, oh, okay, it didn't win. You just kind of, you know, it, this is the ironic thing. The year I submitted my book for mm-hmm. – <clears throat> Into the competition for League of Utah Writers, I didn't even go to the banquet at all because I didn't want to be there and just and hear the fact my book wasn't wasn't a winner. So I didn't even go, ah,
2: <laughs> and it oh, won the <laughs> silver. It won. Yeah, I, I think and, it's a great. I mean, it, but, but it was validation, wasn't it? Granted, I mean the thing. Is, yeah, and, and here's the other thing that I had to say, and that even though I, I won a big award, I know it's still a very subjective thing, as, as easily as I had convinced myself that I had got the wrong reader for my book and that's why it didn't get an award. And then I found out I did get the biggest award. It also has to do with subjectivity and luck. I got lucky and I got, the, I got the readers who got what I was doing and loved it. I could have just as easily got one of those terrible, bad, icky agents in New York, me who, <laughs> who turned it down for two years.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. and,
2: uh, and, but so you take it where you can because it's art, you know, it's art. Oh, and, yeah. um and I, th- I think sil- – I, I, uh, sil- I got a silver for the brand demand last year, and that was amazing because I couldn't get the thing published in the state because it was, again, it was, uh, again, not p- it was a kind of a political book. It was my oldest book that I wrote before I decided to be a writer. I just needed a vent. See, even back then, even before I became a writer, I decided to vent through fiction, which is mm. a hell of a good thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I got, yeah. I got a silver <laughs> don't, don't no, and
1: you, and, you, and I'm saying now you have your book, David, that came out, which is the third book in the trilogy of the unseen. So, oh
2: yeah.
1: So how how has that been going? Because I mean, here you are, you're president elect for the League of Utah Writers. You've been winning some awards, and now you have a new, and you have a book that's that's been released recently.
2: I you've got to be one of the busiest
1: people right now.
2: <laughs> I am. It's uh yeah. It's, it was a hell of a, It's been it's been a weird ride. It's like so many years of nothing, and then everything kind of exploded, and then um, I had a bad agent who kind of slowed me down, we didn't get along, and now I have a new agent, and it's working out a lot better, so, um, yeah, it's been busy. The, the David, I'm so glad to have it out, though. I hope you hope it can remain for a while, because it, it completes the series, and yeah. it was really nice You know, I mean, Eleanor is a standalone, but Celeste and David are really kind of linked together, and it does get me, it, it kind of completes the idea where I'm going, in. Mean, somebody's and it's, again, it's an, an accomplishment to hold the book in your hand, to know it's there. You feel so close to these characters. I feel like I know every one of these people so, mm-hmm. so intimately. And then even when I read the book again and I'm coming to the final chapters and seeing what's happening, and everything, it's still kind of, oh, I'm going to miss these guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a possibility of another one down the road, but we have to hold off on that just because I've got so many other things coming up. Lots yeah. of books it's all that's the only thing a writer really has the power over. Is the business is the business. It's rejection and it is acceptance and you can and publishers come and go, fans come and go. You it, I mean and the only answer a writer ever has is to write some more. And I tell that to all you listeners. If you're a writer, just write another book. If there's only one book in you, it's probably a memoir. Disregard everything I say. But if you're a fiction <laughs> writer, write another book. Write another book. You'll be surprised because every time you write a book, you get better. The second word you write is better than the first. The last chapter of your book is better than your first. Your second book will be better than your first. And that is the way these things go, and that's the only power you have. So you, get, you sign up with this publisher. It doesn't work out. What do you do? You write another book. This, this was rejected. You, keep, you, you, you send it out again, and you write another book. And it just kind of starts coming. That's so far. It's been my theory, and it's worked out really well. On top of that, it keeps me writing, and keeps me active, it keeps my brain firing up, keeps keeps me running. Highly, highly recommended. See, I believe that every book has to be, should be written, should be written, but not everything needs to be published. You know, which is yeah. kind of hard to hard to think. But, um, <laughs> but since the writing itself, the creative process, is so personal and unique and fulfilling, it should not be thwarted by the idea that this is going to be hard to get published. Because if you go in thinking that way, you're playing with scared money. And I mean, if you're only writing to be, if you're writing to make a million bucks, I hope you're writing ransom notes because there's really no other way to do it quickly. <laughs> you know, so you've got to pretty much go into it knowing you're going to be an artist. You're going to live on Top Ramen for a while you're going to have another job, there's all these things. But in the meantime, you are expressing and you're exploring. And that's mm. why every book needs to be written. And then if you can get it published, great. And you may or may not find your audience. You might, you, you might, be, um, you might have an ex Da Vinci Code where the book is poorly written, but it takes off. You might, write, you might have written a masterpiece that no one notices except a few little underground things. You know, as long as you have, you know, I say I write for myself, that guarantees me one fact. You know, I I haven't chased a market yet, and I haven't. um, Of course, I haven't hit. I haven't hit bestseller. That could be a relationship. Who knows? (laughs) What were you
1: going to say? Oh, I was going to say, you know, and I love and I love that about you as an author because there are many authors who write um, based on trends or they write in a specific genre because it's the genre that's taken. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who switched to like erotic romance recently because that was the genre, especially if you were going to be an indie author, um, you know, to, to write in that genre and spit out books. But it seems like when that happens, it gets so saturated <clears throat> that, you know, you always hope the good stuff bubbles to the top, but that's not always the case. So yeah. I, I love the fact that, you know, and and the other thing I've noticed, and, and we have a lot of people who listen to our show who are... You know, um, self-published authors or in the indie market, we have a lot of people who are, <clears throat> you know, debut authors who are trying to get out there. Sorry, my guys, my throat is like starting to dry up again. Um, I <laughs> anyways, but I love that that you talk about like write again because that's one thing that Marsh and I have noticed um, over the last about three years is a lot of people write a book and they focus so much on the marketing of their book and don't write. Mm-hmm. They just like market, market, market. Where you constantly see buy, buy, buy my book. And I know you and I have talked because I know World of Geek, you know, we've, we've been sharing, you know, what's been going on with, with your Unseen series, you know, and obviously your recent award with the finger trap and stuff, too. But you're not focusing or calling us up and saying, hey, you should be doing this for my market, you know, to help me market my book. I mean, you're off doing your own thing, and I love that. So I would love if you could share a little bit about that. Like, you know, how, how much time do you really yourself personally spend in your marketing effort as an Uh-oh. author? I mean, obviously, when a book first comes out, you're out signing, but, you well, know. it's it's
2: yeah, it's uh, it's still more than I like I like. I mean, once it, it's it small press in India are not that much different at this level. And as a, as far as I've heard from the big five, mid mid-list is much the same. And that we are required to spend a lot of our time marketing. I spend a lot of time on social media and I network and I, I teach class. Well, I, I don't know if I even call it networking as much anymore. Teaching classes used I used to consider it as networking or marketing, but now I just think it's giving back and having fun. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd say probably about 50% of my writing time goes into that, and 50% goes into editing and writing new material, and which is actually a very it's, – it's better than it could be. I know some people go 80-20, and some people who go 100-0 for several years. You know, it's, hard. <laughs> it's, it's the nature of the thing. I mean, I don't – you cannot – it's the nature of fame. It's the transient again. So you continue on on the its You've got to stay – Relevant, you've got to stay mentioned. You know, I mean, the award is a, is a help. The book's been out for a while, but the 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 um, the, the award will help. Um, but still, whenever you know, your publisher may or may not give you the marketing push they need or in the right direction. It's just after a while, you've got to trust word of mouth. You've got to be out there. You've got to you've got to do it. It's, there's no other way to do it, to my knowledge, unless you catch lightning in a bottle and things go on themselves. I mean, I've, I've been very lucky, very fortunate so far. I've had some very good fans very good readers who have encouraged other people to buy my books. And I've been, I've, you know, considering what I went in with very low expectations, being very realistic and um, I don't want to say negative, but uh, keeping the bar low so I could be excited. I've been very excited for my <laughs> career. just And a lot of it has been these great word of mouth campaigns. And you've got to read this. You, you know, it's uh, people sharing sharing the books and book clubs. Um, a couple of Kindle hits didn't hurt. Um, and those kind of things happen, and then they, they flare up, and then they come down, and then there's always something else to compete, right? So to constantly be out there banging the drum and demanding attention for yourself, after a while it just gets old. Everyone knows it gets old, and it's, I, I think it actually it depletes the experience, or diminishes the experience, I mean, um, if you do too much of it. But on the other hand, um, if, if you just write a book and you think if you write it, they will come, I think in this modern very, very competitive world of entertainment. It's going to—it's it's, that's a recipe for for disaster, and um, it, it's unfortunate. Is, is the way. I Trust me. So soon Harper Collins gives me that huge advance, and they just—they put me on Oprah. I'll be okay. But even yeah. then, hell, it's going to be fifty percent of my time, just 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 beating off the um, all the fans who's coming for my autograph. Look at George Martin. That's right Yeah. <laughs> but, but so you you know, and for me, I feel it. I. I take those moments more as a as part of the payment not necessarily as part of the cost if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i feel that if i can help other writers come to some understanding of a how difficult this job is and how to find success by some other metric than money don't get me wrong the money's great i mean my money's not great i mean I'm, i'm i'm living the life if not making a super great living at this but that's okay because living the life is more important but if you, can, if you can, a writer should probably be, I mean, everyone writes for different reasons. I understand there's people who decided to get into erotic romance and write those things because they sell. And, you know, if you want to make an indie name for yourself, I know a lot of great indie authors who really do a good job of creating content and creating fans and keeping it up and doing a good job of it and have more power to them. I've, I've unfortunately unable to do that, um, so I had to choose a different path. So my path has been, more to uh, to bleed on paper and some of my bandages. And so I take advantage of my moments, to of uh, the writing and, where the, and what the writing has done for me, and then if it sells, hallelujah. And if I can find an audience, welcome to my world, let us be friends. And those are the things, because you, if, I always think, I mean, it's one of the things that the America has done, is it has monetized everything, and that is the measure of success. And I think that is a shallow measure of success. If, it's, if you just measure yourself by money, you are going to be less than Paris Hilton. No offense to Paris Hilton. No, all offense to Paris Hilton. <laughs> I'm sorry. you <laughs> money, but what have you done? And if I can reach out and touch a life, and this is, I know, it's, you know, it, it, it could be sour grapes. I don't know, but it's, it's, there's something more to that. It's something more to that. When I receive a letter from somebody saying, my mother went through this. I was like this. You did it very beautifully. Or somebody writes to me and says, I laughed until I, until I threw up. I mean, I had one moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a great moment to come Con, of you the finger trap and all that. Just um you know, you get these moments and just somebody reaching out and you, As a stranger I don't know, I have I have influenced their life, we've shared an experience together and there's something I don't want to say spiritual, but at least metaphysical about that experience. Yeah. And it's you know, and maybe you know, whether whether it's fame or glory or just just self self you know, it's a valid it's it's a validating thing. It's 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 okay. And even if I didn't get the validation, it's validation in what the book did for me when I wrote it. And then, of course, there's all the experience of the people you meet along the way, some good, some bad, most very cool. And (laughs) these experiences are part of the life lesson, you know. And it's one of the problems when you're dealing with a writer is you just know that no matter what's going on in that writer's life, is there someone in the back of his head taking notes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know. I, I, I said that before, there's um, even in the worst catastrophe, of anyone's life in the writer's mind. There's a part of them that's going to remember this as in as much detail as possible to use it later. Which is which is a good way to be aware of your life. A lot of people live their whole lives not being aware of it. And if writers can sensitize sensitize themselves to the day to day and take some take something of that, right or wrong, or just explore it and use it. <laughs> what else What else can a um, a reflective human being expected, you
1: know? <laughs> no, I think I think you did a great job. I would love for you to kind of talk about, you know, the fan experience, and I'm using that exact terminology and obviously you know why, because you've been to Comic-Con mm-hmm. quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's that like? Like, actually getting fake, because, I mean, out of a lot of the places you go, Comic-Con is probably one of the biggest fan bases out there, <laughs> which is why they call it the fan experience. What What is uh, it like getting face-to-face with those fans and actually you know, I am I, I know when I get to meet my authors for the first time that I love their books of, I'm always like, oh, I'm so excited, especially when I finally come out to St. George because of what I do. I'm like, hey, let's go out and have dinner, you know, because I can kind of use that. But a lot of fans can't. So what's it like when, you know, for you, the author, to actually get to meet these fans face-to-face? I mean, because these are the people buying your books. These are the people who, you know, are giving you that vindication that what you're doing is touching lives.
2: So,
1: I'd love for you to share some of those stories.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool, but I, I'm of course not not the big draw yet. <clears throat> no, yeah. I'm not the big draw. I mean, as soon as I think
0: Johnny Worthen
2: is pump, is right, signing books on aisle five for 16 minutes if you're hurting <laughs> them, then it'll be great. But in the meantime, it's mostly just meeting people, and occasionally, you know, it's it's coming to the point now. I've done enough of these that it's I meet a lot of new fans, but I also read I reconnect with old fans. Mm. So there's a lot of. Uh, Family reunion feel to it, but the good kind, not the kind where the drunk uncle is going to start telling me about his, <laughs> his racist racist friends. You know, but something nice. And so that's that's cool. I mean, I've, I've I'm, i I've been blown away by some of my experiences at Comic Con. Um, I, I, I mentioned this before. There was a, when, when the Finger Trap first came, it was a fan ex, and uh, I, I don't want to mention her name, but I'm sorry. And there's this young girl comes up with a boyfriend. She's maybe sixteen. And so I start telling her about Eleanor. And then she's, you know, and she nods and then she points to the Finger Trap, which is of course you know, a rated R book to say the least. And uh, she points and said, Yeah, that's another book of mine that's the Finger Trap and she said, I bought it, I loved it. And she saw it, and she picked it up at Barnes and Noble and read it and just found me. And while she was telling me how much she loved this book, somebody else came up and she, t- you know, and bought the book. And then she came back the next day telling me how she was halfway through it and loving it. But anyway, that one girl who came, who I'd never met before, who found me in the bookstore and then come found me, made my day. Then she came back. to, she, she ran into me at the last Comic-Con. She came back to my booth. She's just curious about hearing her boyfriend. Great people. And um, she'd lost my book. She lent, I think she'd lent it to somebody, never got it back. Well it's a good thing I had an extra copy because I'm not letting that one go <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, but, but, but those kind of experiences are are they' actually quite wonderful and then I get some um you know a lot of younger readers wanting you know want to know where the be you know if their fan theories were correct. I had a couple of them had one ask me about uh, Tabitha's dog and Eleanor, which I actually forgot about I had to think of that one but it's 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 validating in that way you know of course it's meeting yeah. people it's always it's just it, you know, Comic Con is more for the movies variety. So the, so, the readers are not as plentiful as the people who are familiar with the Marvel franchises. Right. And yet, they are still in the fan base. And finding the readers and those who appreciate the reading are just there's there's an immediate connection, immediate connection between readers and authors because we like have shared this other universe. And I, and we kind of I haven't really felt any um, I haven't I don't have a stalker yet. Which is really kind of sad. I really wanted to have them, um, but maybe not close ones. So I don't know. Um, but it's the whole fan experience is for an author. It's real. Like Stephen King came here this this year. I, I saw. I don't know if He, he came to Salt Lake City. as part of on his book tour. Yeah, I have been very bummed
1: of how out of the network I've been with everything up north in northern Utah because. Oh. Yeah, and we share the same birthday too. I'm hoping that one time he'll see that somewhere on social media that I say that every year.
2: <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> well we to go sit Stephen and just have King coffee King. on our birthday. <laughs> oh, right, right. Well I was gonna say that I went to see Stephen King when he came here. He was actually uh he was being put on uh, um hosted by the King's English bookstore. Shout out to them at Sugar House. It was a great little independent bookstore. And they brought Stephen King in, and they put him in a, they put him at Juan Diego High School's auditorium. Wow. And uh, tickets, and, uh, and you, the, there was $35 for a ticket, but you got a $35 book for showing up, and one in four were signed, so it was great. But It was, a, it was an author event with the greatest, most popular, most famous author I'd ever been, been near, and he filled an auditorium, which was neat, but it wasn't an arena. So even though this author, who has changed several generations influenced them from carry on. Um, we all know his movies. If, we, if you don't know his books, the shining still scares people. Carrie's been removed <laughs> twice, hasn't he? Um, And this great voice of literature and fiction and horror, whatever, I was still disappointed in that it was only an auditorium and not an arena. So, you know, I mean, Somebody, I mean, to, to find somebody of his caliber in, say, film or, or music, let's say music, I mean, you'd have, what, the Red Hot Chili Peppers? I don't know if I'm dating myself by saying I mean, think. You know, think of how many people a modern pop band would have compared to an old writer. So the writing is still, what I don't want to say a dying art form, but it's definitely been sidelined by the more modern entertainment medias. So it was interesting yeah. to see that, is that even though Stephen King is Stephen King, he's just a wonderfully funny, Energetic still just everything you think he is. Um, I was glad to see him, but it's still just an auditorium. and not: Yeah no, and, I mean,
1: and, that's, and that's so true, you know that you say that, because I know um, him and Martin were at um, I think they're on the UNLV campus out there in Nevada. know mm-hmm. um, I I think, I think it was UNLV anyways, my husband went down there, he actually went, and I couldn't go and <clears throat> he filmed them, and they are just up on stage. You know, one of the auditoriums is kind of talking back, back and forth about writing, because, you know, he's, been, he's talking about his Mr. Mercedes series, and obviously, Martin's talking about, you know, Game of Thrones. And, um, but my husband's like, you know, there's a lot of people there. He's like, but not what I thought for having both of them together being there. Exactly.
2: And, you yet, know, and at the Comic Con, they had the entire um, jazz arena for Mark Hamill. Now, Mark Hamill is yeah. a decent actor, and he's been in some good movies. But he's not the creative force of Stephen King or George Martin. And yet it's the face of the image. It's the face of the story and not the creator of the story. So it's always – writers are always in the background, which is unfortunate. And yet we are the forces of culture. We are the forces. It is our stories that get made into these greater cultural events. So it's okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> we know who's important. I know who's important. Yeah. That's
1: right. Well, I know, like, recently with – um, and we talked about this on World of because we always do um an after-awards show for, like, the Golden Globe and the Academy – And all that, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were we talked about how it's only been the last few years they started recognizing the writers (laughs) in the award ceremony. I mean, like they used Mm -hmm. to always give them awards, but actually having them come up and do a speech never happened. Right, like like the longest time. Yeah, and now they're finally starting to recognize you know screenwriters, and it's like. Wow, you know, we just kind of get like—it's true. Authors and writers really do get like kind of like the backseat a lot
2: the time. We do, but, we do, yeah. It's like uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I think I think what you're seeing—if they brought them up last time—it's because of Dalton Trumbo embarrassed him so much. Finally, got his biop <laughs> his uh, movie made, which shows the blacklist horror. You know, and we have you know the, the force of it. It's interesting. It's 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 one other problem about being a writer is everyone thinks they can write. No one goes up to my my son's computer program. I might mention this. Nobody goes up to say, "Oh, your computer, you know, something's wrong with my computer." I'll, I'll just reprogram it. Nobody does that. Everybody, everybody knows they need an expert to, tell, to work on a program, even though it's just yeah. coding, right? And yet, everyone thinks that th- that the same level is not, the same level of respect is not given to a writer because everyone knows how to write. It's just putting one word after another, right? What's so hard about that? And so, it's always going to be a little bit diminished, which is unfortunate. And, and because in some people's eyes, it doesn't, they don't understand the process of how truly difficult it is to get a novel out or even a short story or writing a, a sentence the right way. I mean, everybody can communicate, but sometimes I spend all damn days, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll get six words in that day, but damn, they're good six.
0: You know, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's,
2: it's, just, it's just part of being a writer. It's, it's part of being an artist, you know. And, yeah. and that's what I, and it's, it's the life we chose, or we're hoping right. to, you
1: know. And I
2: think everyone needs a creative outlet, right?
1: No, yeah, yeah. Well, and to me, I think writing is what, when, when I pick up a book, you know, be it a classic, you know, something that's just been published 10, 15 years ago or something just recently released, I always can tell when the book was written because I, a, piece, a piece of what was going on in society is bleeding onto those pages. And it helps me understand who I am today, where I came from in the past, and where we're going tomorrow. And that's, to me, mm-hmm. what, what, book,
2: what a book does for me. Mm-hmm. They're to- they're, they are complete artifacts of the time. I agree with that. It's diff- Yeah, the, the best ones definitely have a t- – I mean, the, the writer's inside of it, and what the writer's going through is, is definitely inside of it as well. If it's done properly, I don't know. Some people might be able to just put stuff out. I, 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 know I, tend, to, I tend to bleed and overthink these things. I, I'm in the middle of a new project, and it's just so – it's challenging me because I I have so many big ideas I'm wrestling with. <laughs> I haven't. I'm trying to solve. I'm trying to solve the world's problems in a novel, and it's not as easy as you think it would be. You know, to be to that's be why we keep you electing know, new
1: presidents, Johnny, for the same reason.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You
1: be, can't solve. You cannot solve what's going on in America in four years or in eight. It just doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> you think so. that
2: that might be a problem? You might be right. <laughs> so in the meantime, I've got. I, I have a different planet where I'm, pro- I, I'm. I'm making my own planet to fix it, and it's not even. That's not even. Easy. Yeah. Damn, many people are hard to, hard to control. It's all very difficult. <laughs> this has been an interesting year, though. Um, yeah, I, I, I love what I do. I'm teaching a class now at the University of Utah. I'm querying. Shout out to my students, if you're listening to this, um, which I spent the first uh, class trying to discourage them so they know what they're getting into. <laughs> because I mean I know a lot of people you know I, every once in a while I hear about those those people who oh yeah I was just doodling one day and I got the thing published it's a New York Times bestseller well thank you Richard Bach on the other hand <laughs> most of us have to struggle a bit and so um, yeah. but once you realize the odds are against you you you're in the driver's seat you know how to go with it and so being able to talk to writers who are trying to get published these these kind of levels are just it's fun because I learn as much from as these classes. As, as i teach it probably more because i'm not that great a teacher <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i think i'm okay but just you know there's knowing a thing and there's knowing a thing well enough to teach a thing you know so all these yeah. things you think instinctively you i now have to like remember how it is to uh you know to do to this because some I, I i'm aware of a lot of my shortcomings as a writer i tend to i tend to uh my my beginnings tend to be a little slower than the than the uh, norm is today. We have to like grab and hold and not let go and strangle the leader and beat them up with it rake. And I tend to, <laughs> I tend to ease into things a little more than I should. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Better. So far so good. I, I found an audience, which is amazing because, you know, I remember some of the criticism I got for the finger trap was that, Oh no, it's never going to work here. Your, your body, you know, I, I had to rewrite the first chapter. I had a, um, the book is supposed to begin. She looked like a fish which is a very Kurt Vonnegut moment, and I was very happy to have it. But then I had agents and people worry about the fact that the body doesn't appear for so long, which is normal for a mystery, but it wasn't in the current meta, if you know what I mean. So, okay, flash, I have a page, one page of the body, and then flash back to where the book's supposed to begin. And I feel a little dirty about that because I wish I have kept to my vision. I don't think it hurts the book. It actually adds another joke, and there's another joke. Jokes are always good in this book, <laughs> and that becomes a moment. But um, um, I know that's one of my problems is that I tend to have this lead into it. Like even with Eleanor, you can't. The, we're, we're taught to have this three-act structure. It's, it's ingrained to us as being um, purveyors of media in America. Every television show has got this three-act structure. Every movie has got this three-act structure. Say the cat has ruined anybody that wasn't ruined before, and yet that is not the only way to do things. It's it's an effective way; we're all familiar with it, but it's not the only way. Um, To Kill a Mockingbird does not have a three-act structure. Watership Down doesn't have a three-act structure. The two books that influence Eleanor, Eleanor doesn't have a three-act structure, and yet it found an audience anyway. It's the trust of the reader to go along, and that is there's validation again.
1: No, no, I agree, sure. and, I, and I think, and I was saying, I think we're starting to see it because, I don't know if you've read Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones doesn't either. I know yours yes. doesn't, and you know, and that's because I've taught the Rule of Three class many times, the Three <laughs> Picture, and I always tell people, like, if you're going to write your typical hero's journey story, this is great. If you want to do something new and fresh, don't do this. <laughs> Just
2: don't. Exactly. <laughs> And it's interesting that Game of Thrones has been so successful and has broken many rules, and yet people, I mean, I hear a lot of people say that it can't be done again. You can't have an ensemble cast in a book anymore. It's too many characters. And I don't, I, I, I don't agree. I absolutely I don't agree. I think, I think one of the things that I've learned, for example, in writing uh, young adult stories with adult scenes and adult content, is mm-hmm. not to underestimate your reader. Your yeah. readers are smart people, people who read, are smart people. Um, All those readers, all those people listening who don't read, uh, I've just offended you. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're smart in your own way. Maybe maybe you can do math. I don't know. But readers tend to be very clever, and they can handle these things. I think, you know, writing to the lowest common denominator or dumbing anything down is just a mistake in any circumstance, particularly creative enterprise. And I've been so um, encouraged by People understand, and maybe they don't understand everything I'm doing with all of my books, but they get enough of it and they get a sense of it, and it's not turning them off to when I deal with these issues of, of, of you know, love, you know in the finger trap for everything from adultery to uh, yoga, you know. You know it's all, it's all, it's all. Actually, that's pretty much the same thing in my book. But that's something else. See, we're all over the place. Did we have a theme tonight? Did we, were you, we about no, it was all those. about you. It was, just, it was just spotlighting
1: <laughs> you as an author. But we are getting okay. to the end of the show, so I don't want you know us to go into overtime where <laughs> where um, no, it goes straight to recording. Nobody can hear the end until it goes completely to podcast, because when it's live, unfortunately, it will we'll keep going, but it won't air it all live. So can you share oh, with okay. people where they can follow you? And, and obviously your books are at all major bookstores, but where can they follow you and keep tabs on what you're doing and, and hopefully turn out maybe and take some writing classes from you? You know, come meet you when you're out doing signings because you are just a fun person to be around
2: anyway. Oh, (laughs) I love you so much. I'll, I'll pay you later. Um, no, the, easiest, the, the best place to follow me is my website, johnnyworthen.com. That's www for Wide Web, those of you too young to know. Uh, johnnyworthen.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y, J O H N N Y W O R T H E N.com. My events page is the one that changes the most. I have I list my classes there this year. Uh, right now I'm teaching Query to Full. But next fall, at the University of Utah, those of you in Salt Lake area, I'm teaching a mystery class again, Very, very fun class about deconstructing mystery and how to write them. And I'm going to teach the querying class again because it's doing very well. Um, and then all the other events and conferences that I go to are listed there. And you can always email me and talk to me. I'm pretty approachable. Be a stalker, I'm looking for one, preferably somebody <laughs> with, um, with a clown mask. Those seem to be the, in the rage these days. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All and I'll right. well, get down to, and I will be down to St. George probably uh, in, in a short time. I want to come down and visit uh, this winter to get out of the terrible weather we're going to have up here. Oh, that's
1: awesome! All right, well, I will see you soon, Johnny. Thanks for coming on the show, and we will definitely touch base soon. I know.
2: Oh, uh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Love you.
1: <laughs> Bye.
0: And Bye-bye.
1: then, just really quickly for our listeners, so they know what's going on here at the World of Eating Network. We have um, tomorrow night, Marcia Casper-Cook. She does her Good Story is a Good Story. She'll be talking about all about writing with Leah Michaels. Um, they'll be focusing mostly on romance, but Leah is a best-selling and award-winning author with more than 100 books in romance, nonfiction, and local history. So definitely tune into that show. And you'll get some really great tips from that as well, like you did tonight. And then um, Marcia will also be back on Thursday doing a new show, What's New in the Politics of Election 2016. She'll be joined by Jack Remick and Carol um, Salmon on that one, and they'll be kind of talking about what's going on in the political climate. Um, I don't think they'll be talking about who they're voting for, but they will be kind of talking about like how media to some degree <laughs> is driving um, some viewer your um, opinions on politics. So it will be an interesting show to tune into, and it's definitely one that we normally st- steer away from, but we felt that with the way this year is going – It was one that needed to be addressed. And then on Sunday, I will be back with Sunday Reads here on the World of Eat Network. And um, I will be talking about literacy and doing some book reviews, but I'll also be doing remembering Rick Walton, who was known as the granddaddy here in Utah of picture books Um, and was a mentor to many in the young adult and children's writing market. So definitely tune in that show, and people who are fans and friends can call in during that show as well. We thank you for listening to us here on the World of Eat Network, and we'll uh, see you soon. Bye-bye.
2: The well-